As we continue our worship, it's now time for us to turn to our scripture reading. And as we do so, a couple quick notes. First, it's customary on the Sunday after Easter to read one of the resurrection appearances. Uh, But that's not what we're going to do in our worship service today. We're going to turn back instead to the book of Psalms. If you would really like to hear about one of the resurrection appearances, I encourage you to look at our Sunday school lessons after worship. Uh, One of those will deal with some of the resurrection appearances. But today we're going to turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to be reading a very short psalm, uh, Psalm 134. But before we turn to God's word, let's first go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your steadfast love which endures forever. We give you thanks for the blessing of your word. We give you thanks for the blessing of your spirit. And as we turn to your word this morning, we ask that you would be with us wherever we are, that you would open our ears and our hearts, our minds and our lives, that we might come to know who you are and who you are calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Psalm 134, listen to the word of God. Come, Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. Here ends the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as the echoes of scripture still hang in the air, in our homes, echo in our ears, We ask that you would help this passage and these words to find their way into our minds, into our hearts, and into our lives, that we might come to know who you are and who you are calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. It's such a wonderful little psalm. It's it's so short, uh, but there's, there's a whole lot packed into it. And when, when we look at this psalm, uh, it, it comes at the end of this group of about 15 psalms that are called the Songs of Ascents. And uh, no one's really sure why they're grouped together, but they seem to almost outline uh, a day of worship. And uh, we, we find uh, these various songs of praise. And at the very end, at the conclusion, we come to this passage. And we find a scene of what looks like the people who have gathered for worship, the pilgrims who have come to the holy place, who are now turning to go home. And as they turn to go home, as they realize that day is turning into night, as they realize the world is changing around them, and it's time for them to say goodbye, they will no longer be in one another's physical presence. The worshipers who are leaving turn back and make one last request. It's maybe even more of a demand. And they say to those who are going to remain at the temple, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Uh, Their last request as they go home, as they're separated from one another, their demand is that the worship will continue. Even when they are no longer in one another's presence, they want to make sure that the worship will continue, that there will still be praises sung to God, even when the people are no longer in the same place. I hope it's obvious to you why this psalm kept suggesting itself to me. As we are no longer in the same place, We have found a way to make sure that the worship will persist, that praise will continue. 
And it's such a fascinating little passage, and this is such an unusual time as we have found ways to continue worshiping. I've found myself thinking about psalms like this, thinking about what we are doing at this moment, thinking about all of us gathered in, in, in living rooms, in dining rooms, and in bathrooms, in studio apartments, and on back porches, all of us who are gathered many times wearing our Sunday best in our homes, gathered around laptops, and tablets, and computers, and, and phones, and televisions and devices gathered together and finding that our worship will persist even when we're not in the same place. And as I've been thinking about that, I found myself wondering how often that happens in Scripture. I found myself wondering if, if this really is unprecedented, this insistence, this stubborn persistence uh, for, for worship. And so mentally, I've been, I've been flipping through stories of Scripture. Physically, I've gotten out my Bible and I've looked through the books of the Bible, trying to find other moments when worship should have stopped. And it's amazing what I found. I, you can find this stubborn, persistent worship all through Scripture. As unprecedented as this may be, this stubborn worship has been happening for thousands of years. If we were to take a tour together of Scripture, you wouldn't have to look very far to find the first moment when worship should have stopped but didn't. You can find in Genesis 8. If you go to Genesis 8, you find Noah getting off the boat after the flood. The world is completely different. Everything Noah knew about the world is gone. It has been wiped away in a moment. And before the rainbow comes, before there's hope, before there's a promise, Noah steps off of the boat and look what he does. He builds an altar to worship. He decides that his worship will persist even when his world is gone. He decides he will shout hallelujah. He will give thanks to the Lord. He will praise God's name even when the world as he knew it has been erased. But it's not just Noah. We can continue through scripture. You go, go to uh, uh, the book of Numbers. Look at Numbers 9. And in Numbers 9, we find the people are wandering in the wilderness. They have no idea when they're going to get back home and what home is going to look like or where it's going to be. Nothing about their world is certain. And as they wander through the wilderness, they, they delegate a specific group of people whose primary job is to build a tent wherever they are in the wilderness so that they can worship. And every time they move camp, they tear down the tent, they go to the new spot, and they build that tent again so the people can worship. Because in the midst of uncertainty, the people decided there's really no better time to sing hallelujah, to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to God's name. It doesn't stop their worship. Their worship persists in the middle of that uncertainty. But if we keep going, we find that eventually they will, they will find a new home. They will find a, a, a new king and, and the, the nation will, will get settled. And eventually we'll come to a king named Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19. And Hezekiah finds that he, he set up this capital. And while he's in the capital, he gets uh, invaded and he's surrounded by an enemy army. And darkness begins to fall and these invaders are all around. And as the darkness falls, they will become invisible. And Hezekiah will be surrounded by an unseen enemy. And guess what he does at that moment? He calls the prophet Isaiah, and together they decide to pray. And in their prayer, they give thanks to the Lord, and they sing praise to God's name. Because surrounded by an unseen enemy, they decide now is as good a time as any to give thanks to God. And their worship persists. We see this over and over in in the nation and in representatives of the nation, people like Noah. We see this as we look at the, the wandering in the wilderness. We see this with Hezekiah surrounded by an enemy, but it's not just the nation. Uh, This happens for individuals. It happens to lone people. 
Look at Job 1. Job, who loses more than most people ever have. And in the face of unspeakable tragedy and loss, before the first chapter is over, we hear the words come out of Job's mouth, blessed be the name of the Lord. When he has lost more than we can even fathom, Job decides that's as good a time as any to worship, to shout hallelujah, to give thanks to the Lord, to praise God's name. His worship persists in the face of loss. We can move forward. We get to to people like prophets like Jonah. Jonah, it's when Jonah, in Jonah 2, when he gets thrown out of the boat and swallowed by a fish and carried away from the world, Jonah finds himself in this new extreme isolation. And that's when Jonah decides now is as good a time as any to give praise to God, to shout hallelujah, to give thanks to the Lord and give praise to God's name. His worship persists in extreme isolation, much like that many of us are experiencing right now. Or we could go to another prophet. We could look at Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. There's this great moment in Daniel 6. Daniel is told by his government that it is no longer safe to gather in public for worship. And notice what Daniel does. When he can't gather with his friends and loved ones in worship, Daniel goes into his apartment, closes the door, and walks to the window. Apparently he didn't have a tablet. So he goes to the window, he opens the window and just roughly faces Jerusalem and he begins to worship. He decides when it's no longer safe to worship in public, that's as good a time as any to close himself in at home and to shout hallelujah, to give thanks to the Lord and sing praise to God's name. And Daniel's worship persists even when he can no longer worship in public. We see this all through the Old Testament. We see this in Genesis 8, we see it in Numbers 9, we see it in 2 Kings 19, we see it in Job 1, we see it in Jonah 2, we see it in Daniel 6, but it's not confined to the Old Testament. If we go into the New Testament, we see this exact same thing play out in the life of Jesus Christ. We look at John chapter 6. This is the moment when uh, the other uh, gospels explain to us, it's right after John the Baptist has been killed. Jesus has just lost one of his closest friends. And the only thing Jesus wants is a moment of silence to mourn. And he can't get it. Everywhere he turns, he is surrounded by people and experience many of us are experiencing right now. We can't find a moment of silence. Jesus wants a moment of silence, but he's surrounded by people, thousands of them. And not only do the people come and surround Jesus, but they're hungry and they want food and there is not enough food to give to all of these people and experience many of us understand right now. So they gather all the food that they have and Jesus clings to this meager loaf of bread. And at that moment, when there's one loaf, when there's very little food for thousands of people, Jesus clings to that loaf of bread. And look what John says he does. He lifts it up and he gives thanks. Because at that moment when he can find no peace, at that moment where he can find no solitude, Jesus decides that's as good a moment as any to shout hallelujah, to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to God's name. And in Luke 22, we see kind of a mirror image of this. In Luke 22, is, it's the, the passage we know as the Last Supper. Jesus gathers with his closest friends, the the 12 disciples, at a time when Jesus very much wants anything but to be alone. And as they gather for that meal, he knows full well that very soon everyone in that room will turn on him. They will deny him or betray him or abandon him. And in the face of that loneliness, in the face of that abandonment, Jesus takes bread and Luke tells us he gives thanks. He decides that's as good a time as any to shout hallelujah, to give thanks to the Lord, to give praise to God's name, and the worship persists even at that meal. But think about what we read last week. Think about the the, the events we celebrated on Easter Sunday. 
And one of our favorite accounts is of the women going to the tomb and finding that it's empty. But we jump to the empty tomb. In Luke 24, we, we find this story. And the women who go to the tomb, remember what they expected to find. They expected to find a grave. They expected to find the body of Christ. They expected to find proof that there was no hope. And notice what they were doing. The reason they went to that tomb was to anoint the body of Jesus. An expression of devotion and love and worship. Because when their hope was gone, they decided that was as good a time as any to shout hallelujah, to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to God's name. And that's when they arrived and found that the tomb was empty and their hope had indeed been resurrected. And this happens throughout the gospels. It happens throughout the rest of the New Testament. The great story about Paul, when Paul gets thrown in prison and he's confined to a cell, what does Paul do? He decides it's a great time to have a hymn sing. And they decide together they're going to sing hallelujah. They're going to shout thanks to the risen Lord. They're going to sing praise to God's name over and over and over we see this in scripture there's this consistent persistence to worship nothing stops God's people from shouting praises to God it's because this isn't something that we do this is who we are we are a people beloved by God we look back through all these stories and in the lives of these characters These moments, when it seems as though the worship should stop, these are actually the moments, in many cases, where they are closer to God than ever before. And we find in those moments, God draws nearest to God's people, and God's people give thanks because God loves us no matter what. And no flood can change the fact that God loves us. And no desert can change the fact that God loves us. And no invisible enemy can change the fact that God loves us. And no unspeakable loss can change the fact that God loves us. And no extreme isolation can change the fact that God loves us. And no order against public gatherings can change the fact that God loves us. And no hunger and sorrow can change the fact that God loves us. And there is nothing about betrayal or denial or loneliness that can change the fact that God loves us. And when hope disappears, it can't change the fact that God loves us confinement cannot change the fact that God loves us because this is who God is. This is who we are. We are a people who are beloved by God, so our worship will continue. We will shout hallelujah. We will give thanks to the risen Lord. We will sing praises to God's name because this is who we are. It's almost as if neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord because this is who God is and this is who we are and so we find a way we find a way through tablets and cell phones we find a way through laptops and computers we find a way through television through radio through drive-ins and if that doesn't work we will write each other letters and if that doesn't work we will find carrier pigeons and if that doesn't work we will open our windows and sing at the top of our lungs because this is who we are God loves us no matter what and nothing will stop our song Praise be to God. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ has died. Jesus Christ has risen. And Jesus Christ is with us right now. And nothing and no one can tear him away. And that's why you can hear my voice today. Now, to be clear, as we continue our worship, we will not stop. We also 
will not do anything foolish to put ourselves in danger. We will find ways to safely gather, even as we are distanced, to praise God's name. And as we read Psalm 134, we find this gathering of worshipers as they part. And they don't know when they'll see each other again. But as they leave, the one thing they insist is that there will be a consistent persistence of worship. That the praise will continue. That the people of God will know and proclaim that they are loved. That we will shout hallelujah. That we will give thanks to the risen Lord and that we will sing praise to God's name. This is who you are. Praise be to God. Thanks be to God. God loves us no matter what. In the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.